Well, I think one of the things that we all heard this week and just felt like a tragedy happened was what happened in Uvalde. And I just want us to just start our time now by just praying for those that are just going through incredible grief and loss and even fear right now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do pray for these families that are just grieving right now over just innocent lives that have just been taken. God, we pray that, that your comfort, that, that you'd put people in their lives to love on them. And, and God, that in their, in their deepest hurts right now, that they would be, be comforted. And God, we, we even pray for just the, the family members of, of the one who went in and just, just recklessly was taking lives and how they just are, are just at, at such a loss and, and the hurt that they have because of somebody that, that they're related to that did this kind of damage. We, we pray for those that even just have fear right now, just, uh, just fear of not knowing where they can go and where it's going to be that it's going to be safe. And, and God, most importantly, what we pray is we pray that, that people will turn to you during, during this time to see that you are the God that, that has love. You are the God that restores. You are the God that gives purpose. And God, that you've created us with eternity in mind and that, that those people that just need to begin to, to experience, be reminded of that hope or be, be informed of that. God, that you would just begin to, to work in their lives. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we started this series, Uncommon Sense. And the series is really about us exploring wisdom. And, and how is it that we can gain wisdom? And how is it we can put wisdom to work in our lives? And, and we started by looking at this idea of wisdom versus knowledge. Because we can have knowledge, but just because we know something doesn't mean that we're going to make wise choices with what we know. That wisdom is rightly applying knowledge. And the beginning of wisdom is when we begin to see things and understand things from God's perspective. And what happens when it comes to our life is that it's our pride in ourself that ends up minimizing our willingness to follow God's wisdom. But yet it's when we have a trust in God that maximizes our willingness to follow his wisdom. And so we've got to look and go, hey, how is it that we can grow our trust? God's done all that he needs to. What is it that we need to do to grow our trust in him? Last week, we looked at, quote, dangerous friends. That, that we looked at, what, what does this mean to, to have some, some of these friends that are, quote, dangerous? Not really, not really dangerous to us, but, but they're dangerous to our ego. They're dangerous to our pride. That what Solomon shared is he said, wounds from a friend can be trusted when, when a friend ends up caring more for us than they do about the relationship. Then they're willing to, to speak up and say something when they see something. That they're willing to, to speak into our lives knowing that, hey, I'm going to risk the relationship, but, but I care about you more than I care about us. And so I need to share this with you. It, it is. It's a dangerous friend. And, and dangerous friends are going to wound our pride. Dangerous friends are going to tell us things that we don't want to hear. Dangerous friends tell us the ugly truth instead of the, the pretty lies. That that's what dangerous friends do. And, and they're willing to hurt our, our short-term ego for our long-term well-being. That, that's what dangerous friends do. And today we're going to talk about relational equity. And as we look at this idea of relational equity, that 
that all of us have this idea of, of, of equity and an understanding of that. And, and we tend to think of equity and, and, and things that we own, whether it's a, a car and we, we own that, you own it outright, that all the equity is, whatever that value is. If you have a loan on it, then you go, hey, if, whatever it's worth, and I pay off the loan, that's my equity. You might be upside down if you owe more than what the car is worth. But also we are familiar with equity when it comes to homes, that, that if you're a homeowner, that, that you know, hey, whatever I have as a home and its value minus whatever I owe, this asset minus liability, it equals equity. And, and you know what we love? We love equity gain. We, we, we love it when our equity is, is growing. We, we love it when we're, we're paying down on what we owe. We love it when there's a growth and, and it's getting worth more. But what we really don't love is we don't love when there's a new liability that comes. And some of us have gone through uh, some moments of depression over the last few weeks because we received our property assessment from the tax collector and, 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 and we saw just how much our home values went up. And, and, and we're like, we love the value going up, but then when there's a tax bill attached to that, we don't like it as much. And, and, and so it, it's kind of the, this catch-22 for us because we're going, hey, I, I love the value going up, but I hate that there is an expense, this liability of tax that's coming along with it. You know, I, I think that when it comes to relational equity, that there's some similar things that, that when we begin to, to grow relationally with other people and, and that we get more equity in that relationship, they get the equity, we get the equity, the relationship just has all of this equity in it as you're, as you're growing. We, we really love growing with the equity, but what we get discouraged with sometimes is that the, the liability that comes with that. And what's that liability? That most of us, if we just were to take a, just a cursory, just quick glance look, what we would discover is that the relationships where we've been hurt the most by are the relationships that we, at one time, had the most equity with. And, and, and so there tends to be this sense of, hey, I can, get, I can get hurt. And some people end up shying away and they don't want to have as deep of relationships. And other people realize, no, I, even through the hurt, it's absolutely worth having. And so I think relationships are very similar when it comes to this equity and, and having this relational equity in life. And relational equity, it's, it's built over time. That, that sometimes we'll end up meeting somebody and we, we start a friendship and as we start that friendship, it just seems like there's kind of instant chemistry and we feel like, wow, it seems like we've been friends a whole lot longer than what we've been. But, but for most of us, that our deepest thriving relationships that we have with others are ones that we've had for a long time. They're ones that they've continued to grow over time. And that, that trust is, is, a, is a mutual trust that, that we trust them and, and they trust us. And where there's mutual trust, there's also mutual influence that we get to mutually influence one another. And as we're looking through the book of Proverbs, this Old Testament book, to try to understand some things about uncommon sense and wisdom, that we're looking at what this King Solomon, what it is that he is writing to his son or to his sons. And, and as he's writing this, you and I, we get to eavesdrop. We, we, we get to kind of go, hey, well, what is it that you said? What is it that we can glean? And how is it that we can grow through this? 
And I think for King Solomon, I think that he would address some encouraging things in, in this book, and he would end up addressing some discouraging things. He would address some, some obvious things, and we're going, well, that's kind of obvious. Of course we should do that, because we've figured that out. And then there's some obscure things, and we're like going, oh, I don't know. I'm not really sure that that's the wisest thing, and, and it just kind of seems obscure to us. And so we're going to back up, and we haven't been in chapter one yet, so we're going to back up and get to the very beginning of Proverbs. And so here we are, Proverbs chapter one. Let, let's look at how he begins this. He said, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Now, a lot of times I think when you and I think of a proverb, we think of a, a short sentence, a concise sentence. And that, that short sentence is like that, hey, here's a nugget of truth. And, and we'll see several of those throughout this book. But a lot of times that what Solomon ends up doing is he, he writes a little bit of a backstory to some of these and, and then he puts out this little nugget. And I think this very next verse, when we get to verse seven, it might be the first actual, what we think of as a short, concise sentence. There's this kind of proverb that we would go, oh, there, there it is. There's a proverb in the book of Proverbs. It's the first one. Verse seven, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And that just might be that, that, that first short, concise sentence that we go, okay, there is a nugget of truth. This book of Proverbs it's written so that, so that his sons would really grow in wisdom. It's written over 3,000 years ago. But, but yet when we look at this, because it is about this, this wisdom, that Proverbs provides this undeniable evidence that wisdom never gets outdated. That, that there's something about, it, it stands the test of time. That it's built on principles and principles never expire. And so that's what he is doing and what it is that he is sharing. That, that when my son was a teenager, that we would spend almost every week, we would do a Bible study together. And when we would do a Bible study together, we'd leave the house, we'd go to this Bible study. And, and when we're reading through, I, I would always ask him at some point, what's the principle? I really want him to understand a, a principled truth through the stories and, and through the events and the encounters throughout scripture that we were reading together and studying because principles never expire. That, that without wisdom, knowledge is limited. And it's why we need to apply wisdom. It's, it's just rightly applying what it is that we know. That there's some value to wisdom. And this is just kind of a, just a, a broad stroke overview. But the value of wisdom is wisdom can bring hope in despair. That, that wisdom is like, Hey, even though there's despair right now, we know that there's still future ahead. We know there's still life that is still to come. And, and so it, it brings this sense of, hey, there is hope, even in this despairing moment that we're in right now. That, that wisdom, it can replace emptiness with fulfillment. That, that where we end up feeling empty, that, that wisdom says, hey, don't, don't get tunnel vision. Don't get this tunnel vision where the only thing that you look at and you focus on is, is, is what is bad and what is happening that, that's not good. 
But, but wisdom says broaden it out and look and, and it will replace this emptiness of what you see right here with fulfillment. And the third thing is wisdom can navigate you out of isolation and into, into relationship. That it navigates you out it, because sometimes we get burned in a relationship more like going, I, I'm, I'm never gonna get in a relationship again like that. And, but wisdom's like, okay, no, don't, don't think that every relationship you're gonna get burned in. And so, yes, keep, keep looking and, and, and navigate you out of being isolated. I'm just going to retreat and I'm just going to be by myself. It'll navigate you out of that and it'll navigate you into community, into relationship with other people. And so as we continue to look at Proverbs, we'll get to verse 8 and 9. He says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Earlier this week, I was reading through one of my Bibles, my printed Bibles, and um, I, I actually came across a, a note that my son had written to me a little over five years ago. And <clears throat> he wrote this note, and so I just want to share it with you. So he says, Dear Dad, <clears throat> first of all, happy birthday. Second, this week, Coach told us that we we're going to dedicate our match to somebody. Now, he played tennis throughout junior high and high school. He said, my first thought was, who should I pick? And my next thought was, I really hope I win. After thinking about it, I decided to dedicate my match this week to you. And I chose you because you're special to me in many ways. Thank you for loving, caring, and providing for me. Thank you for teaching me to play tennis. Now, he far exceeded my tennis abilities. But, but when he was young and I was teaching him, he was giving me a little credit. Thank you for showing me Jesus. Thank you for spoiling me. Even though you put food in my mouth and a roof over my head, there is still one thing that stands out above others beyond comparison. You have been and are the best role model that I could wish for. I listened to your jokes and I learned how to conjure up my own. I haven't mastered that one yet. But now as I get older, I am learning how to do more important things from you. I'm learning how to be a great husband someday by watching you love mom. I'm learning how to be a great leader by seeing you run a church. I'm learning how to be a Christ follower by watching you. And not only a Christian, but a light of Jesus that shines in our dark world. I am learning how to be a great friend to those who are considered close and also to people who just need a friend or someone to confide in for the moment. And lastly, I am learning how to someday be a great father just as you are. You are my biggest role model and I love you. I, I don't share that just so I can get out here and go, I want you to know just how great my son thinks I am. I, I want you to know that when there's relational equity, when, when, when you pour yourself in to a relationship because you really go, hey, I have your best interest and so let me pour into you, that there's going to be a return. And, and it's absolutely worth what we do and how we give and how we sacrifice to where we're building relational equity with, with people. Sometimes it's people that we just work with. Sometimes it's with people we live by. Sometimes it's people we live with. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's friends. But, but it is worth it for us to pour in to others. 
as Solomon kept writing, we'll, we'll jump to chapter three. Starting in verse one, he says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. And this is one of the reasons that Proverbs is so worth reading, is because we all have a desire for peace and we all have a desire to prosper. And so when we read this and we begin to gain the wisdom, if we will live out what we're being shared, what is being shared with us. Verse three, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. That when you do this, it, it, it's going to be something that God's gonna go, hey, I'm encouraged by what you're doing and, and people are going to be as well. You know, I think what happens is, is we gladly listen to the people that we trust. That, that, that if we trust them, that, that we gladly listen because we, we begin to believe that, that they have our best interest. We, we trust them and you have our best interest, my best interest, and so we gladly listen. But it's not true with everybody. On the other hand, there, there's relationships that, where, where there's not much equity. Maybe there's no equity. Maybe even the equity is upside down equity. And, and if that's a relationship that we find ourselves in, we often resent or, or we discount. We, we resent or we discount the, the counsel that, that they try to give to us because we don't trust them. And because we don't trust them, we, do, we, don't, we don't think that, that they have our best interests. And because we think they don't have our best interests, why would I trust? Why would I follow? Why would I listen to whatever counsel that you say? Because I don't know your intentions. It, it, this is where relational equity becomes so important. That, that if you've ever found yourself in a relationship, you feel like they, they're just not listening to me. It's a relational equity question. It's not, what do I need to say? How can I say it differently? It's a, well, what do I need to be doing differently so that I can build relational equity so that I can share this and they'll see that I have their best interest at heart. That people enjoy relationships where there's a balance. Where, where, where this, this, this relationship where, where people feel like, you know what, hey, I'm getting out of this what I'm putting into it. You're getting out of it what you're putting into it. And, and we're pretty much putting in equal stuff and we're pretty much taking equal things. That what happens is when we get more than we give in a relationship, we end up feeling guilty. We feel uncomfortable. Like I, I, this, it just feels awkward because, because they just keep giving more than, than what, I, what, I keep, what I keep giving. They just keep giving more. And, and then when we find ourselves in relationships where, where we're the one that, that we, we're doing the giving and we're giving a lot more than, than what they end up giving, that, that we're giving so much and we're getting so little, that we find ourselves frustrated in those relationships. We find ourselves going, hey, do, do you not care about me the way that I care about you? Do you not care about this? We, we get frustrated there. It's why we really appreciate and we thrive in the relationships where there's an equal give and take. We're equally putting in and we're equally taking out. These are the relationships that, that are the thriving relationships for us. And I wanna share with you four ways relational equity gets measured. 
that there's these four ways that we get to measure and go, hey, where, where are we at? Where do we stand? So one way is time. You know what time does? It validates intentions. That, that, that when you get to see who somebody is over time, it, it validates their intentions. Are, are they intending to just, hey, I just want to get something out of this? Are, are they intending to be, hey, hey, I just want to be equally in? It validates their intentions, whatever their intentions are. That's one of the ways that we measure relational equity. Affirmation is another way that, that we measure this. That it reveals if you're being honored or whether you're being used. That, that what we're looking for in relationships, what, what we want in relationships, is we want relationships where, where people are going to have some kind of consistency of, of affirming us. Now, it doesn't need to be constant as in every single day, every single moment. But, but there's a, just a steady dose of, of being honored. And, and where there's a lack of a steady dose of being honored, that's where we begin to question, am I just being used? And, and so when we look at this, we're going, hey, affirmation. Is there affirmation here? A third area is effort. That, that we measure where is the relationship at? What's the relational equity is when it comes to effort. That the effort and the actions, they, they really expose whose best interest is being pursued. Are, are, are you pursuing my best interest or are you pursuing your best interest? Because the effort that they reveal what's being pursued, what, what effort are you putting in and then who are you trying to see benefit from this effort? And the last one is trust. And, and, and trust, there's something so significant about trust that instead of me just saying it to you, I, I wanna show it to you that, that this is really just how important trust is. I didn't hear any gasps. I, I, you, you, I revealed this and, and nobody's like going, oh, trust. It's right. It's, oh, it's right. That's trust. But I want to tell you how I think this illustrates it. Because trust is the root and the fruit of deep relationships. It, it, it's not just the, the, the roots and the fruit somewhere else. It, it's, it's the, the root is the fruit. And, and, and that's trust. It, the, the, it's the root and the fruit. It, it's combined. It, it's all together and it's, it's working together. And that's what, that's what trust is. It, it's what it does. It's the root and the fruit of deep relationships. And so if, if you're not gonna remember anything from today other than this, I'll be totally fine with it, but please don't forget this, that trust is the root and the fruit of deep relationships. That it's a root, it just keeps growing down, but it just keeps growing out because it's the fruit as well. And when we think about it without trust, that the time that's spent, it just doesn't matter. That without trust, affirmation, it just falls short. It just doesn't feel like it means anything. That without trust, effort, it's scrutinized. What are you doing and why are you putting this effort in? This is how important trust is. That it is the root and the fruit of these deep relationships. That trust, it's built on 
It's built on credibility. That, that, that where we see, okay, that, that there's credibility. I can, I can see that, that there's, there's a reputation that you have. There's credibility. So yes, maybe I can begin to give you my trust. As you're getting started in a relationship, that, that trust, it's built on familiarity. If you begin to get familiar with somebody and, and who they are and what they've done, there's this interaction that you have and you're like going, okay, I'm seeing, I, 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 think, I think I can be trusting you. And trust, is, it's built on reliability. That, that I need to be able to rely on you and, and, and there's these transactions that, that we have in this relationship and I see that I can count on you that you are reliable. The two people who are equally investing in the relationship it creates relational equity. And, and that's what we all need. That's what we all long for. But relational equity, it's what gets you through relational conflict. You can see these relationships that we have, especially this is one that means so much to us, that we're gonna end up encountering and experiencing some conflict along the way that every relationship worth having is going to have some challenges every relationship worth having it's going to have some setbacks every relationship worth having it's going to have some heartache it's going to have some hurt but where there's relational equity it will get you through the conflict it'll see you through when you have the conflict one of the ways I've heard this explained is pocket change. And pocket change is, hey, when you do something in a relationship and they're like going, oh, thank you for that. And, and I, I'm so grateful that you've done that. They, they give you a little change. You just kind of put it in your pocket. And, and every time you end up doing something and, and you're reliable or, or you're surprised in a positive way, and, and it's like, you just keep, they just keep paying you pocket change and you just keep, keep loading up. But then there's gonna be that time when you end up doing something and you disappoint, oh, I forgot, or I'm sorry, I didn't mean that, and I'm sorry I said that, you end up spending and you pull out and you end up giving some and you spend pocket change. And, and what we have to do is we have to understand that, that everything we're doing affects pocket change, relational equity. Are, are, are we building change or are we spending change? And, and what I think happens, especially in marriages, in the relationship of a marriage, what I think happens when, when a marriage reaches a point where they say, that's it, I'm throwing in the towel, I'm giving up, we're done. And they go down the path of the D word. It's because they no longer have relational equity. It's gone. And I think some marriages, they end up starting out and they start out in the hole that they already have negative equity as they, as they say their ideas. There, there's some that they start out their marriage and they, they have the, this positive equity that they're already starting with and that's great. Some marriages that start with positive, they end up keep drawing on that equity and keep borrowing from it and they find themselves in a marriage and a relationship and they're going, uh, we're completely upside down. We, we don't have any equity. And it's usually at that point that somebody's reaching out to me and saying, hey, can, can, can we meet with you? And usually one's willing to and the other's like going, I'm just here. And, and as they're here and I, I begin to talk with them and I share with them that it's gonna take these small 
incremental deposits in order for you to get to where you want to be. But what I've understood is that most marriages, they don't like hearing that. Most, most marriages that are in trouble, they're going, well, we're kind of here because we were hoping to hit the lottery. We, we, we were hoping that, that, that you were just going to pour it. We were just instantly going to have all this equity back. They didn't say it like that, but, but that's what they're thinking. And it's hard to get trust back when you feel broke in the relationship. I came across this. I didn't really expect to have this for today, but I just want to share it with you because I think it's so good. There was a pastor in the 1800s. His name was Robert. And he, he moved to a new city in Missouri to start a church. And shortly after being there, he's got a wife, he's got two young boys. A stray dog comes to their property. And they welcome that dog in. They start loving on that dog. That dog's loving them back. It, this dog was, was all back with a few little white streaks on his tail. Well, it wasn't too long after they found this dog that they heard that there was somebody else new in town that had moved to town and they had lost their dog. And the description pretty much matched the dog that they had. And so they're trying to figure out, hey, what, what are we gonna do with this? And we really like this dog and, and we love this dog. And Well, one day they get a knock on their door and it's the owner of the dog. And he shows up and he says, well, I, I've been told that, that the dog that I lost, that, that you have a dog that, that matches my dog's description. Well, his boys were in the back with the dog and they were hearing all of this and, and they started pulling all these little white hairs out of the tail of that dog. And, and after they get all of them out, they, they walk up to the door and they've got the dog with them. And the dog sees his owner. And the dog runs up to him and he's loving on that, that owner and he's, he's so excited and the owner's thinking, oh, I found my dog. Well, the pastor says, well, didn't, didn't you say that, that your dog has some white streaks in the tail? This dog doesn't have any white streaks. Sorry, I guess you're gonna need to keep looking. That pastor, his name was Robert, Robert James. And he had two boys that ended up becoming pretty famous, Frank and Jesse James. And what he ended up writing later is he wrote this, I kept the dog and I lost my boys. He lost all of his influence, lost all of his equity, lost all of his trust. He kept the dog, but he lost his boys. Some of us, if we're not careful in a relationship that we really value and we really want to keep, we'll end up sacrificing that relationship and keep something that's worth far less. We'll keep the house, we'll keep the car, We'll keep the 401k. We'll, we'll, we'll get to keep something. But we'll lose what really means the most to us. Relational equity. This is where we pour ourselves in. 
This is where we, we find somebody else who's going to equally pour back. And when we do this, we're going to be able to experience the joy of relationship the way God intended it to be. Where we equally give and we equally get. And they equally give and they equally get. And those are the best relationships, the best friendships that we could ever have. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that that we would really learn this uncommon sense, this wisdom of what it means to to be somebody that writes love on the tablet of our heart. We never forget that and we we, we love others. That, that That we act with trust because we understand it's the root and the fruit of a deep relationship and that we don't break trust. God, where we might have broken it, where we did break it, I pray that, that we would quickly work to reestablish, to regrow trust and that we would value others more than we value ourselves. And be, through that, we would be able to experience some great community and great connections. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.